0: Hi, my name's Samuel Finlay and you're listening to the ACES Podcast. In today's episode, I have a conversation with researcher Dr. Peter Sherrill. After completing his PhD at the University of Wollongong, Peter traveled the world for his research, spending time in Sweden and London before coming back to Australia, where he now finds himself at the University of Melbourne. We speak about his journey and more, so let's get to the podcast. So I'm chatting with research fellow, Dr. Peter Sherrill at the University of Melbourne. How are you going, Peter? Yeah, good. Thanks, Sam. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. How are you more particularly because you live in Melbourne? That's uh, been a big talking point for me with most of my guests who are from Melbourne. I usually open up asking about that because um, life's been very different for for you guys down in Melbourne with lockdown and and whatnot.
1: Yeah, it's been a challenging year. So we've been um, in some version of lockdown really since March. Uh, which means I haven't been back to the lab. So I'm really itching to get back in and actually get my hands dirty and do some experiments again. But you know, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of work that we still do constantly down here, um, whether that's engagement with the public or paper writing or things like this. Um, so we're still super busy. It's just been such a strange year working from home and a big blurring of the work home boundary.
0: So just before we uh, started recording, you said you hadn't been in the labs since march i mean that's that's got to be the longest you you haven't been in labs right i would i would assume in your your career <laughs>
1: oh yes oh yes longest since undergrad i would say it's been um it's been a different a very different experience this year um a lot of things half finished and like i said itching to get back and try to get them done but the good thing is we've now got um some of the phd students back in so they're able to generate some new data and that's nice because it's nice to actually be making those discoveries rather than just talking about well not old work but things that you already knew about.
0: Yeah and you mentioned your undergrad so let's let's begin the podcast going back to your studies and maybe start with your PhD actually which was in material science at the University of Wollongong. Um, What did you do for your project? Yeah so um, for my PhD I was looking at how we can make
1: carbon nanotubes grow in really different architectures. So at the time what we would what everyone else was doing was trying to grow nanotubes aligned. So they were trying to stick them all as a really dense forest and use that for a whole range of different applications. But the problem is when you grow them aligned, they all stick so closely together, you can't actually get anything in the pores between them. And so we looked at, you know, if we add sulfur into our growth, can we induce defects that make them spiral around and force this open space and this porosity? And because the other part of my project was looking at electrochemical devices, specifically um, proton exchange membrane fuel cells and supercapacitors, this porosity was super important so that when we put it in electrolytes, something like sodium chloride or sulfuric acid, the ions could actually get in and interact with the nanotubes as opposed to just the surface.
0: So you also did your undergrad at the University of Wollongong. Was a PhD something you always wanted to do, or did it just sort of turn out that you finished your undergrad and... Uh, then we're like, okay, I'll, I'll do a PhD.
1: Uh, to be honest, it, it was a bit of both. I didn't have a really clear understanding of academic career pathways through my undergrad, um, but I always had a really strong passion for science and I knew research is what I wanted to pursue. And as I got to the end of my undergraduate degree, um, we were a bit of guinea pigs. So we were the first degree going through the University of Wollongong under nanotechnology itself. So the course was still getting massaged and things were still getting implemented. Um, but We also got a lot of exposure to research through IPRI um, and what later became ACES as well. Um, Yeah, and this just led into having really good connections and I found a research stream that I was passionate about and went down the PhD path and haven't looked back basically.
0: (laughs) So that uh, passion for science, when did that sort of begin? Was that something that you sort of... uh, uh I guess, picked up maybe in high school um, or was it, you know, uh, you know, prior to that or? Uh,
1: I I honestly don't have a really good memory of when that happened it's just sort of always been something that I've enjoyed looking at even in primary school I always loved you know history and archaeology and the science of dinosaurs and the science of asteroids and space which is completely the opposite of what I do now where I look at the tiny (laughs) little things but that sort of interest in how things work was there for a young age and then when I started doing physics and chemistry in high school it really solidified you know my interest in that side of things you know Manipulating things at the tiny level to make new properties and new devices for different for different things that can help people.
0: So I guess is that why nanotechnology was the sort of specific uh, science you decided on?
1: Um, Yeah, it was. It was a combination of a few different things. But one of the big things was honestly, I came out of high school with a knowledge I wanted to do science. I wanted to do physics and I wanted to do chemistry, and nanotechnology was this brand new thing at the time. While People had been doing it for, you know, 20, 30 years. It hadn't really been codified into a field. And the course they offered in nanotechnology really bridged all aspects of science. So I focused, like I mentioned, on chemistry and physics, but you had the opportunity to go down um, a biology stream if you wanted. You had an opportunity to go down a much more materials engineering stream and a chemical engineering stream. And so it was a degree that gave us a lot of flexibility um, while still focusing on the core aspects I was interested in from high school. But really, I
0: I had very little understanding of, what
1: I was getting myself into at the
0: time <laughs> and you also did a, a graduate certificate in research commercialization is that right
1: yes yeah so we did that through UniQuest um, which was a joint offering between the University of Wollongong and the University of Queensland and that was a semi intensive um, course over it was a semi-intensive course over a weekend and then four subjects over the course of a year And that's been really interesting to give me a different perspective on my research, sort of to keep in mind, hey, can we commercialize this? Can we try to patent it? Can we drive it that way? So that was a really good experience.
0: And I guess speaking about that sort of commercialization, I mean, for the majority of your career, I mean, you've stayed in research. Did you always want to stay in research rather than industry or was, you know, there maybe a point in time where you thought about going into industry?
1: I mean, it's never a closed door. Um, I always try to collaborate closely with industry, but what, I guess what my expertise is, is really in the fundamental science, the fundamental side. And then I like to collaborate into, you know, people who do really nice device science and things like this. So for me, research has always fitted much nicer in an academic setting. And I'm also really passionate about mentoring the next generation of PhD, honours, master's students and things like this. And so I get a little bit more opportunity to do that in an academic, I guess, university setting.
0: Sure. And after your PhD, you stayed on with UOW and ACES as an associate research fellow. Is that correct? Yeah. So,
1: um, my PhD got, or got delayed, I guess. It took quite a long time to come back from review. So I think it took well over nine months, almost a year before the right. comments came back. And so during that time I was working, um, yeah, I was working as an associate research fellow at ACES and I got the opportunity to also go and visit Richard Kaner over at UCLA, which was a great opportunity. And, you know, I learned a lot of the skills there that have really helped me through my postdoc, um, learned how to use CVD to grow graphene, that's chemical vapor deposition to grow graphene, um, and how to, you know, transfer graphene and start to use 2D materials, which I've then used on later in my career um, at Imperial College and now at the University of Melbourne.
0: Yeah, so speaking about your career progressing, you then went overseas for the next part of your career. First of all, you picked up a new position in Sweden, is that right? Yeah, that's correct.
1: So uh, I was working at Linköping University, which is a small city about halfway between uh, Copenhagen in Denmark and Stockholm in Sweden. Uh, and it was a really lovely time, completely new experience, completely different weather to Australia, much, much colder, obviously. <laughs> um, and what what we're working on there is trying to take um, that graphene experience I had from my associate research fellow, as well as some of the uh, biointerface experience I got there as well, uh, and apply that to trying to design new um, natural polymer patches, what we call, so things from collagen and alginate, um, to develop systems where we could put, electrically conductive nanomaterials in. So we're putting carbon nanotubes in, we're putting graphene into these things and using them to make um, patches for either myocardial infarction. So to treat someone who's had a heart attack and has scar tissue on the heart, or we were using some without the carbon nanotubes or graphene to implant into artificial corneas. um, So try to make replacement corneas for people who had corneal damage and things like this. Wow. And how did that opportunity come about? So it's a bit of a strange one, that one. So my wife also uh, works in science and she uh, has a PhD as well. And we were looking for jobs at the same time. And she got a really excellent opportunity in Sweden. And so we decided, no, nope, one of us has got a great job, we'll go. And then while I was over there, I was networking and talking to different people. And someone was looking for someone with expertise in carbon nanotubes and graphene. And I fit the bill. And it was a really nice um,
0: sort of just serendipitous thing that happened for me. Sounds it. Uh, And then I believe you moved from Sweden to London. Yeah. So we, um,
1: at the end of Sweden, we were ready to um, try a different adventure. One of the joys of science for us is the ability to travel and work in different environments and different places and really broaden our experience. And so we decided sort of a year before we left Sweden that we were ready to move. And um, so I applied for a Marie Curie Fellowship um, at Imperial College London and move over Moved over there to get a little bit back more to the energy side that I was familiar with from my PhD. So we went over there to start looking at 2D materials, really for supercapacitor and sensing applications and things like this.
0: And how long were you in London for?
1: Oh, there for about three years. Um, and yeah, absolutely wonderful time. Loved living in London. Um, yeah, uh, amazing time over there.
0: And were you hoping to stay there long term? Or obviously now you're at the University of Melbourne and Um, back in Australia, but but did you want to stay in London long-term or was it always this, uh, you know, maybe thinking that you would come back to Australia?
1: Um, We were always originally planning uh, to come back to Australia. Uh, When we were in London, we started arming and ahhing a bit about whether we wanted to stay, but there were a few uh, things that happened that sort of just led us to want to come home and be closer to family again, and um, that really drove our decision to leave the UK and come home.
0: Yeah, sure. And so now you're at the University of Melbourne as a research fellow, as I mentioned. Um, what what are you currently uh, working on?
1: At the moment, we're looking at still leveraging this experience in 2D materials and carbon nanotubes um, into making wearable patches. So things that you can put on your body that will convert the energy from you walking around into Sorry, the motion of you walking around into electrical energy. So ideally something that can power sensors or capacitors or eventually even um, recharge your phone, although that's a long way away in the future. Um, so really trying to look at how different nanomaterials interact to induce some new property in a polymer material.
0: Great. And I often see that you're, you're collaborating with um, many people, um, you know, many researchers from ACEs as well. Um, I noticed that you've had a few papers uh, out recently. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's been
1: a it's been a um, quite good year with collaborations and things like that. Surprisingly, um, being in Melbourne, uh, if you want any experimental papers now, it very much has to be collaborative. <laughs> um, so yeah, we've we've got some nice work out. We've got some work out with Jun Chen, who's a, a PI at Aces, um, who uh, looks at things like thermocells and catalysis a lot. Um, they've, that's, they've been really fruitful collaborations. Um, I collaborate a little bit with Joe Rizal down at Deakin, who used to be a ACES fellow. Um, and they're the main ones that I focus on at the moment.
0: Yeah. And uh, we, you know, spoke about at the start of this podcast, you know, not being able to go into the labs this year, not since March for you. How, how have you found being a researcher this year? Obviously, you know, you're working from home and you can do a lot more writing, I guess, but how have you found that? And how do you think that has maybe helped you, um, as a researcher?
1: Um, oh, it, it's been difficult, to be honest, um, the over the first few months, um, there was a lot of backlog of data sets you could interpret and a lot of new data you could get through and that you could manage and you could produce some, you know, still quite new results and quite interesting things. Um, as, as time goes on, that starts to fade a little bit and, you know, you really, You're really starting to focus on, you know, writing a review article or writing a perspective or something like this, which is interpreting someone else's data. Um, What's been good for me is it's given me time to think about how to define my research and how to, um, what I need to do to progress it moving forward. And that's a time, that's a sort of a space and time I wouldn't have got without, um, without the current situation over here, at least.
0: Yeah, sure. And, you know, we, we spoke about your, your career and, you know, you've had many different experiences overseas now back in Australia. I wonder, is there maybe one uh, highlight that, that sticks out more than the rest? Uh, um, honestly,
1: the the three years in London were absolutely amazing. Um, and working at Imperial, working at the Department of Materials there and just having... having the opportunity to live and work in Europe for five years is just absolutely amazing and something so many careers don't give you. So I mean, really all of that, all of that's an absolute highlight. Um, yeah.
0: So speaking a little bit about your career uh, or rather your uh, life outside of your career, uh, what do you like to do in your, your spare time your downtime when you're not uh, in the labs and not focusing on research? Uh, I mean, at the moment, um, walk around within five kilometres.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess um, it's tough to answer right now. <laughs> tough to answer right now. Um, normally, you know, I, li- I like to tend to play a bit of sport. I like to play a bit of squash. I like to um, play some soccer or football and um, just sort of muck around that way. Uh, this year, again, has disrupted all of that. So, <laughs> you know, it's been a bit strange.
0: So something I've asked everyone that I've had on the podcast, and this might be very different than um, previous years for you because of um, uh, the the recent lockdown um, through COVID. But is there maybe a morning routine or something that you do every single day that helps you uh, approach your work? Um, well, of a
1: sort. I mean, my morning routine at the moment is um, to wake up. Um, take my toddler downstairs, make sure he's, <laughs> he's eating, and then ship him off to daycare. Because if we are working from home and he is home, there is no work that's done. Um, and then it's basically just go and get a coffee, have a little bit of a relax, get, some, get five minutes outside to get some fresh air before you start work.
0: Um, uh, cof- coffee's one we I, I often hear on this.
1: <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think it's a pretty, um, a pretty standard vice in academia is excessive caffeine intake.
0: <laughs> that's how I start my day too, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so just to finish up, I, I'm wondering if you could maybe offer any advice to um, PhD students that are currently on their their journey, or um, you know, just starting out in their early uh, research career. Yep. Um, yeah, if you're just starting out and you're looking at what you want to do, the the two things
1: I, I would give advice for is be realistic about the chances of progression in academia. It's an extremely competitive career path, really, really rewarding, but um, don't go in under any illusions about um, funding success rates and things like this. It's something you're not, you don't really understand going through your PhD. So have a think about that. And the second thing is when you're looking for a postdoc, talk to people who work in the lab and see how the mentor or the supervisor is to work with. Because having somebody who's supportive can really boost your career so dramatically. Um, And you're very time limited. You really only have five years post PhD to define your research platform and your research direction. And so losing a couple of those years to negative circumstances really can limit where you end up.
0: Great advice. Well, thanks so much for joining the podcast. It's been uh, good to catch up and, um, you know, wishing you all the best as you navigate uh, this difficult time, especially down in Melbourne through um, the restrictions with COVID.
1: Thanks very much, Sam. It was great great to have a chance to chat.
0: Thanks for listening to the ACES Podcast. For more episodes like this one, be sure to subscribe wherever it is you get your podcasts. You can also find more information about ACES on our website, electromaterials.edu.au. There you'll find links to our various social media platforms. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at Samuel Finlay. Until next time, thanks for listening.